Lie, 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 lie. Oh, live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and I have a very special, beautiful guest here, beautiful outside and inside. This is Abigail, who comes all the way from Manti, Utah. Abigail, how are you? Good. It's nice to have you. Abigail has a brother who is being uh, a little bit shy right now. What's his name again? David. David. David is hiding in the corner right now, but Abigail is up there saying, I'm going to speak the truth. Now, I asked Abigail something before the show. I said, Abigail, do you have a good friend, a best friend uh, out there? You know what she said? Tell the audience who you said it was. Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful that this young girl, nine years old, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is her uh, best friend as well. So we thank God for young girls like this and for her brother David, even if he is hiding. Now, there's something she wants to say to the, uh, out into the audience. Go ahead. I want to say hi to my Uncle Floyd, and God loves you. And... Praise God. Thank you so much for being on the show. Okay, now you just step right over there and be careful of those cords. We praise the true and living God for being able to be part of this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Heart of the Matter can be seen now live from anywhere in the world through streaming video. You can also go to our archives and watch any past program. Uh, all of it's available by going to www.hotm.tv. Every winter, uh, we try to join the Salt Lake Rescue Mission who feeds and clothes the homeless here in the state. How can you help? Bring new socks, the ones still in the plastic wrapper, please, and or nearly new winter coats for males or females here to the studio, 314 South Redwood Road between 9 and five, uh, 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, and then we'll forward those over to the rescue mission. So far, we've had great success. We thank you for your, uh, your generosity uh, in this area. We hold a church deconstructed every Sunday, God willing, uh, at the University of Utah, 10 a.m. We call the Milk gathering and 2.30 p.m. we call the meat gathering. Uh, expect the teaching at the milk and the meat to be uh, about what the, the words, how the words describe them. You want for information, go to www.campus.com. Campus is hyphenated. C-A-M-P-U-S should be on your screen. Also on Sundays, you can hear replays of Heart of the Matter on AM 820, The Truth. Uh, an excellent Christian radio station here in Utah. They have a lot of very uh, sound biblical teachers who have been around. They know what they're talking about on AM The Truth. I like that station very much. Uh, uh, so check them out. Uh, and you can hear Heart of the Matter 
on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. We're producing a brand new television program that we're calling The X-Files. It's hosted by none other than the infamous Bishop Earl and will begin to air in February of 2012. Take a look. I was married when I was 18 years old, married in the Manti Temple. Everything in my house with my parents was based on going to church. Pretty much a lifetime Mormon. Were you? Know, got baptized when I was eight. Seminary, participated in the student ward. You don't search, you don't study. You know, you look at and listen to the approved curriculum of the LDS faith. I tried to attend all my meetings and I always felt like I fell short. But I do feel that I have a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ now. It's, it's nothing like I ever felt in the Mormon church. Whenever I tell them that I'm no longer a Mormon, um, it's difficult to talk about it with them because they don't want to know. They don't want to know why I've left. Uh, they acknowledge that I've left, but they don't want to know why. I have the hope that it's not all on my shoulders anymore. I don't have to be absolutely perfect. It's never going to be enough. It's all on him for, and what he did for me. You know, went to the bishop one day, so I said, well, I'm drinking coffee. And he said, well, as long as you're drinking coffee, you can't be baptized. I thought, okay, well, you know, what does drinking coffee have to do with, you know, having faith in Christ? I believe the Mormon church is based on lies. You, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel frustrated because you're never, you're never going to, you know, live the law, fulfill the law, so to speak. I mean, I live the li my life the best I can, but I know that it's, it's never going to be enough. Is there life after Mormonism? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life of freedom. I have more of a drive now to try and follow what he has taught. He saved me. He died for my sins. He justified me so that I can be in God's presence again. Now listen, at the bottom of the screen, you're going to see an email address. We need you, those of you who have been LDS and have been a Christian for uh, a good amount of time, been going to church, been worshiping the Lord, been reading the Word. Uh, it's these testimonies that are going to translate into uh, uh, good moving pictures and good sound for people to sit in their home and, and listen to what you have to say. Don't feel like your story isn't important. Don't feel like you need to be a scriptorian, but come with your heart and, and tell us the difference between being a born-again Christian, uh, uh, living in a relationship versus being in a totalistic religion. Uh, it takes some guts, but stop being chickens. We need you guys to uh, email us and, and say, I want to be on the show. I was LDS. I am now a Christian, and I have some things because let me tell you something. Uh, I'm only going to reach a certain small percentage of the populace who are LDS, a very small, and it's it's usually the people who are, uh, you know, a little bit way out there and, and, and are people who are really seeking for truth. 
But, but other people like Bishop Earl are reaching people who have been more down the line LDS and your story will reach them too. We really need the state to come together. I go, I visit churches, I'm able to speak at those and, and I'll ask when I'm sp uh, speaking there, how many of you are former LDS? And I'll see a good 30 to 50% of the congregation in different churches in the state raise their hand. And yet we've got maybe 50 people who have said, hey, we wanna be on this X-Files program. So it's your chance to be able to get uh, in the can, so to speak, your story so that people can hear those testimonies and then make a choice about what they're doing in that religion. So it's www.xmormonfiles.tv. Go there and you can sign up. We have really, really good news and really bad news. First, the bad news. We've sold out of A to Z for the second uh, time. We're into a third printing now being done as we speak. Uh, now the good news, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face -face, has been picked up by one of the largest distributors of Christian books in the nation and will be uh, available come March of this year uh, in most Christian bookstores around uh, the U.S., praise God. Uh, if you, yes, I applaud the Lord too. Uh, if you want one of the softback third printings, uh, they're in stock in a limited uh, amount at Lifeway Christian Bookstores on State Street in Murray and through us for a limited time at www.hotm.tv. Uh, and then after that, uh, we have a fourth printing coming out of a much larger number, and those will be in hardback. And they will be at a lesser price because of the economies of scale and uh, supply and demand. We've been able to produce more, so we're able to get a lesser price. And that's just the truth of it. Uh, either way, you can get it um, uh, come March in the hardback, or you can get the copy the, from the first printings uh, in softback in the next uh, month and a half. Uh, so additionally, check out www.hotm.tv for products like uh, a Mormon president and other uh, things that we offer there. All right, how about a moment from the Word? Over the years and nearly uh, every week uh, we uh, in between, we receive an email from somebody saying, what is the best method to reach my LDS uh, family, friend, or neighbor? Uh, and you know, admittedly, there are many uh, methods out there that people use, and many of them are very good, and it really depends on the person that you're speaking with and how you use it. But overall, I'm personally committed to what we call the John 3-3 method, and that is to talk to the LDS about being spiritually regenerated, spiritually born again. In fact, I'm so committed to the idea, we named our first book uh, Born Again Mormon, established a website, Born Again Mormon, and uh, because it's a spiritual regeneration that is going to help somebody understand that religion is not the way, but a relationship, and then they leave Mormonism for Christ instead of leaving Mormonism disaffected, angry at God, and hating Him for the rest of their life, which happens often in this state. Well, the method consists of bringing up the idea to a Latter-day Saint, have you been born again? Where does this uh, text come from? Well, it comes from in John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 3, but it's all through Scripture. It's in the Old Testament, and God speaks about giving uh, uh, children of Israel a new heart, and, and, and all these spiritual rebirth is throughout Scripture. But John 3, 3 is where we get that phrase, born again, most readily in Scripture. So walk with me through John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, and hear what it has to say. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, 
We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that's only three verses, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. It's an enormous um, discussion with the LDS. And these verses are very big in terms of uh, what is going on with them and how they believe. And let me tell you why. Let's take note of a couple things that are mentioned. First, the man Nicodemus was a seeker of truth coming to Jesus probably under the cover of night. He was a Pharisee and he probably didn't want to be seen. And this is, this is all supposition, but it's probable. And Nicodemus opens a dialogue with a profession. Jesus, we know you are a teacher come from God and that nobody could do the things that, the miracles that you have done unless God was with him. So he makes a profession of believing that Jesus came, uh, had the... Uh, the endorsement of God and was a great teacher come from God. Now notice that Jesus does not respond, it seems, to what, what Nicodemus says to him. Uh, instead, he says, as almost as if it's from the blue, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, to me, he's saying, you know, being a faithful religionist, a Pharisee, uh, does not guarantee heaven, Nicodemus. Neither does coming to me by night as a truth seeker. Uh, neither does admitting that I'm a great teacher uh, do it. Uh, no, Nicodemus, uh, Jesus seems to say, let me speak directly to you. And he prefaces message with two strong, strong words in scripture. Verily, verily. One verily, we see that sometimes in scripture, is uh, listen, this is important. Two verilies is like sit down, shut up, Listen to this, it's life and death. Verily, verily, it's a big one. When Jesus does that, that means this is really important, okay? And verily, verily, he, I say unto you, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In our comparison and contra uh, contrasting with the, with the LDS uh, doctrine and faith and practice, Jesus brings up an interesting point. Mormonism teaches that all humankind, every individual, lived before this life as a spirit child of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And that those of us who are on this earth, no matter who we are, all of us agreed to their plan. And because we've agreed to that plan and come here, we are born children of God. They sing a song, I'm a child of God and he has sent me here. And that song is all about being children of God. Now, here is the main point right off the bat. Why do we need to be born again if we are born children of God? What is the purpose? Why is Jesus saying you have to be born again? See, the LDS say your spirit comes from God. It is cleansed. It is perfect when it comes there. Even though you might be born into a different state because of how you acted in that preexistence, you still come here perfect. Why must you be born again? And so therefore, being born again is, is rarely taught. It is mentioned a couple times in a certain context in studying the Book of Mormon, but it is rarely taught as an imperative to uh, see the kingdom of God. Because why would you need to be born again if you're born a child of God? We'll see in the Christian context, Jesus is saying, listen, Every person that is born in the flesh here is sinful because Adam brought this world into sin. And we are not children of God. 
we are sinful creatures. Therefore, except unless a man and a woman is born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means spiritual regeneration. How does that come about? It, will come, it would come about in Nicodemus's case for him to say, you know, I realize now that I haven't been able to keep the law, that I am a sinful man. Lord, I need you. Lord, save me and cry out to Jesus and God gives you a new heart and a new spirit. And that is spiritual rebirth that Jesus is talking about. Now, one more point before we go to prayer. You notice that Jesus says you must be born again. If it meant that you are that you are born okay in the first place, like the LDS say, and then you overcome your failures progressively and you overcome sin through a process of sanctification throughout your life, if that's what he was referring to, he wouldn't say born again. Any woman who has ever given birth to a child, it's not something that takes a lifetime. It happens immediately. You go into labor, the child's born. And, and that's why Jesus uses born again uh, in this uh, analogy. You have to have that experience where your heart is regenerated and it's, uh, and it's an immediate experience. How it manifests itself in individuals is all up to God and how it works. He's working with you. But it is an immediate experience where then, over the process of your life, you, uh, in your flesh, if you're allowed to tarry, become sanctified by the Holy Spirit working with you to overcome your flesh with Jesus as your leader and guide. So you have to understand these nuances are there in Scripture. And we're going to talk more about Nicodemus' response to Jesus next week when we continue. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, uh, we love you and need you. We thank you and praise you and ask you to send your spirit to be with all involved, those who are seeking for truth, people who are channel surfing, viewers who are uh, uh, just coming in to understand the show, and uh, that you'll be with me, uh, that I'll say the things that are pleasing to you. You'll be with our audience, wherever they may be, our volunteers, our staff. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two weeks ago, we introduced an individual who I suggest contributed a tremendous amount to uh, the structure uh, to the information included in and the insights uh, of the Book of Mormon. His name, Oliver Cowdery from Vermont. Oliver Cowdery from Vermont. Prior to Cowdery coming onto the scene in April of 1829, we have taught that Joseph Smith laboriously produced 116 pages of text with Martin Harris working with him. Martin Harris took those pages. They were lost or stolen, and Joseph Smith went back to Pennsylvania, met his wife, and was just up in the air. What do I do? The original text, 116 pages are gone. What do I do? Somewhere between two and three months later, Joseph Smith began to say he was having and receiving revelations from God. It was all the way in 1828 that he began to call himself a prophet. I suggest to you that this was his response to the lost 116 pages if they were going to be, prove him that he was a fraud and that he then developed this character of being a prophet now and God speaking to him and we've talked about that at length. And it, from September of 1828 to meeting Oliver Cowdery, uh, in 1829, April, we're unsure of how much text Joseph himself was able to produce toward the coming forth of this Book of Mormon. He had to start all over. The LDS claimed that Joseph Smith hadn't produced much text at all, but that may or may not be true. But in, in addition, he may have 
produce 200 pages. We don't know. But when Oliver Cowdery came and joined him in April of 1829, that is when the Book of Mormon took off exponentially in its translation, and the book came out about 90 days later. Okay? Um, Joseph Smith had a uh, minimum of six years in the making to develop an outline and everything else and to harvest this Book of Mormonian. Now, the LDS used the date when Oliver Cowdery showed up as the starting date for the translation of the Book of Mormon, ignoring the fact of all the years prior that he said he was getting the plates or he got the plates and, or couldn't translate the plates or had 116 pages translated. They essentially, in their history, ignore that and teach. Oliver Cowdery came along, Joseph and he sat down, and that was the beginning of the Book of Mormon that we have in our hands today. Um, there are some substantive facts every investigator into Mormonism needs to understand about Mr. Oliver Cowdery, who would wind up being one of the witnesses of the gold plates. He was a relative, as we said, of Joseph Smith and was actually living with Joseph Smith's father and mother in New York prior to joining Joseph in Pennsylvania to serve as a scribe. I say this because most Mormons are not, led, are, are not in on this. They just think Oliver came traveling along, and he sat down, and they started working as, uh, as a scribe for Joseph. Joseph claimed God told him in a revelation to stop translating the Book of Mormon until a scribe was sent to him. This uh, suggests that uh, Joseph knew of Oliver, that he had certain skills and information he could bring to the production of the uh, Book of Mormon, and to wait until Oliver got there with him so that they could produce the thing together. Uh, Oliver Cowdery shared a common worldview, uh, as did his relatives, the Smiths. Uh, both families and both men, Joseph and Oliver, had an interest and skill in folk art and folk magic. Joseph was staring into stones and saying he could see things. Oliver was being able to uh, receive revelation through the divining rod, divining rod, whichever way I keep, always forget, and to get direction from God using that. That is in the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph talks about Oliver's gift at using this thing in his actual scripture. Secondly, Cowdery and his family came from an area where Joseph Smith's father used to live in Vermont. And so it's strongly suggested that they had uh, uh, interaction with each other, especially since they were related. Listen closely to this, too. As I've said, Oliver Cowdery, he attended a, a congregational church in Vermont, and there was a, in that congregational church was the head pastor who was the author, the author of the most popular book of the day that suggested that the American Indians came from the Hebrews. He wrote a book called View of the Hebrews, and we're going to spend no small amount of time showing you the information taken from View of the Hebrews, which was written well before the Book of Mormon ever came about and was put into the Book of Mormon as text. I suggest that Oliver Cowdery, joining Joseph, brought that information he learned from his pastor back in Vermont and said, Joseph, here's some other uh, things you should include in the story of the Book of Mormon. Uh, the fact is so circumstantially powerful, it's hard not to see collusion between Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith. Additionally, we're going to bring in some, uh, into light more things about Hiram Smith, who was educated uh, at a school which became Dartmouth College. Hiram Smith um, brought much of the education to help compose the Book of Mormon together as well, and we'll talk about that. So, think about this. Strip away the miraculous garbage people have been fed and just consider the facts. 
That's how you can de determine a con. Remove the hype, look at what is standing just kind of naked in front of you. What do we have standing in front of us? We have the Book of Mormon now is gonna come forth. There's been years of time and preparation. There's been 116 pages produced, then lost. We have Joseph Smith becoming a prophet now and receiving revelations now. And suddenly we have a relative of his who's very much akin to him, trained in the view of the Hebrews, coming and serving as Joseph Smith's scribe and supposedly producing an ancient record that they are going to call scripture. However, the book is on the, in the early editions of the Book of Mormon, it says uh, authored uh, and proprietor of the Book of Mormon is Joseph Smith. Doesn't say anything about it being translated. All right. Anyway, on April 7th of 1829, Joseph and Oliver, his new scribe, sat down and began to cultivate the Book of Mormon, or Mormonian. And because it ends up that Oliver and Joseph actually produced the Book of Mormon in their time together, their short time together, let's talk about how the translation occurred between the two of them. David Whitmer, another witness of the Golden Plates and good friend of Oliver Cowdery, by the way, said this about the process, quote, at times when Joseph would attempt to translate, he would look into the hat in which the stone was placed and he would find he was spiritually blind and could not translate. He told us his mind dwelt too much on earthly things and various causes would make him incapable of proceeding with the translation. When in this condition, he would go out and pray. And when he became sufficiently humble, before God, he would then proceed with the translation. That comes from To All Believers in Christ from Whitmer, page 30. Now, talks, uh, going out and taking walks or doing something similar is very normative for somebody who's writing. Uh, every writer gets writer's block of some sort. So it's completely understandable that Joseph would come to a point in everything he was doing, go out and try to clear his mind and then come back in and be able to translate. But strip away the miraculous from this, and, and, and what do we have? We have a man composing a book, bit by bit. He's worked on the outline for years, and he's had plenty of time to flesh out the themes. He probably would need a time to go out and reflect upon what, where they were at, and then he would come back with mind afresh. Could it be in his walks were to refine the outline and not merely result of him lacking and focusing on the things of God? I mean, Joseph paints a picture that now as a prophet, he has to be so immersed in this a literal connection with God and his holiness to be able to be worthy of it, that he would have to go outside and he'd say, I got to go out to get clear with God and humble myself again. And then God will give me the ability. And we, we just know God isn't going to work that way because none of us have any ability. None of us have any righteousness or holiness that God's going to say, you get to this level and then I'll start giving you my sacred text. But Joseph paints this picture for everybody who believes in him. Uh, at this point uh, of Oliver and Joseph, the props for the Book of Mormon are gone. Urim and Thummim that were supposed to be in with the plates, gone. Uh, blankets separating Joseph from a scribe, gone. Golden plates on the table, which were never even there in Pennsylvania, gone, never showed up. Just Joseph looking into a hat, into a peepstone, and, and, and uh, dictating this Book of Mormon that we have in our hands today. That is the process by which it came. Those who testify of this being the process including include his wife, Emma, his father-in-law, Isaac Hale, 
Witness to the plates, David Whitmer. Witness, Martin Harris to the plates. And witness to the plates, Oliver Cowdery. Each one of them said Joseph translated the Book of Mormon, which we have in our hands today, not by the Urim and Thummim, not by anything else, but by looking into a hat. Now, why do I bring this up and emphasize it? Well, this is why. In 1842, some 12 years later, Joseph Smith said in Times and Seasons, Volume 3, Number 9, page 707, this about how he translated. With the records, meaning the Book of Mormon, was found a curious instrument which the ancients called Urim and Thummim, which consisted of two transparent stones set in a rim of a bow fastened to a breastplate. Through the Urim and Thummim, I translated the record by the gift and power of God. Every active trained Mormon, every seminary student, every kid who sits there and listens to their teachers, anybody who reads the ensign, uh, any of these LDS who don't do any more study believe with the box and in the plates was this thing called the Urim and Thummim and we gave you a model of that and that is how he did it. He didn't even touch it. So why 12 years later does Joseph Smith say it was by this Urim and Thummim that I did it? Because at this point in time, I suggest he couldn't believe how many people followed him and believed his stories. And he had to somehow distance himself from the peepstone days of looking in the hat that tied him to the folk magic practices of his youth and his young adulthood. And so out there away from everybody, they'd move now to different places, Kirtland and different Nauvoo. And out there, he started revising his history so as to show that he was a prophet from the beginning, that the gold plate story was true, and that there was a Urim and Thummim in that stone box, and he used it to translate. When everybody knows who can read the history, that is not how it happened at all. Did Joseph Smith lie? Absolutely lied. That's a complete deception. He perpetrated upon the people. Why? Because he wanted to separate himself from that former life of what he was, uh, uh, a uh, con man for money, and then bring himself to a new esteem that could be verified and held by the people who followed him now. Most of the early saints, church members, had left the church by this time so he could reestablish a new history for himself as a prophet using a Urim and Thummim and translating this sacred record into Holy Writ. Next week, we will continue on and talk about um, Joseph Smith and what he started uh, uh, in doing this and the furtherance of the Book of Mormon. We're about to come forward to the Book of Mormon being published and then to examine the witnesses, the three and the eight, and to tell you what they actually saw versus what people believe they saw. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-973-8820. 801-973-88-TV20. And uh, we love LDS callers. Uh, we want first-time callers and no uh, consuming large quantities of alcohol or drugs prior to making the call, please. Our ability to stay on the air is in direct relation to your support. Let me say thank you to uh, everybody who has done things on behalf of this ministry. Uh, there are people who have given large sums of money and people who have given small. Uh, we thank each of you for your sacrifice. There are people who pray and pray and pray and pray. We thank you for the sacrifice of prayer and on our behalf to uh, the Lord God. And there are people uh, who come to Aletheia as Aletheia ambassadors, as volunteers, as uh, people who literally give 10, 20, 30, 40 hours a week 
voluntary to keep the ministry moving, getting all the forms filled out right, and we thank you for your sacrifice of time. Um, I would suggest we are entering into what I would call the decade of Mormonism. Uh, it's been prefaced by a number of things with the news, their media uh, 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 geniuses. Uh, we're looking towards all kinds of things happening uh, by LDS people in this nation and world. And it is going to become what I think would be, uh, we could call it the decade of Mormonism. And so it's really going to take uh, a lot of prayer. And it's going to take a lot of uh, people with a concerted effort who have known the truth uh, to come forward and help get people out of that thing uh, and the bondage that they're in. Okay, let's uh, open up the phone lines. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to uh, George, Joe in St. George, Utah. Joe, you are on Heart of the Matter. Joe? Hey, how are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I just had a uh, comment. Um, just recently, I noticed the past month, um, I noticed that sacrament meetings are being used for campaigning for, for both Romney and Huntsman. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, I just don't think it's the appropriate platform to to use sacrament meeting when we're supposed to be worshiping Christ to to politic for, you know, Huntsman and Romney. I I can't comment on Huntsman and Romney. I'm just vaguely familiar with the names. Uh, but um, that's a joke, okay? Not a lie, a joke. I can't comment on on political things like that. But I can comment on Mormonism, which is what our show is about and politics, which dates back to their claims of uh, restoring Zion and making the whole world Zion under their priesthood power. And so uh, that doesn't surprise me. And it, it, I, it surprises me a little that they would do it from a sacrament meeting. That sounds like a zealous bishop or something if they were doing that. But it won't surprise me at all if there's secret meetings, and they do that a lot. They did it with Prop 8, and uh, they, they call in their elders, and, and they say, you know, we, we need this, we need that. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they get involved in that. I don't, uh, I don't even know if uh, any candidate today... i, I got to stop. Let me just say this. Um, It's, it's Mormonism's long-term, lifetime, since it's existed, objective to dominate the world. If you don't believe me, go to utlm.org. Mormonism believes that by the power of their priesthood, they will govern this world, if not by persuasion, then by force. That is almost a quote. So nothing surprises me the lengths that the Mormon church will go to to make forward steps in this progress. Now, people watching this will say, you, you know, you're a fanatic, dude. And I could be in this case. But I'm just saying I don't, I don't uh, think anything will stop them from trying to get the highest office in the world, uh, whoever happens to be running for it. And the fact that they're doing it in sacrament meeting, if that's the case, uh, I don't know who they're campaigning for, and I can't make a comment on that. Okay? Well, thanks for your call, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I would find it very uh, interesting that somebody would actually call and, and reveal that's what they're doing and uh, complain here, but they're still going to sacrament meeting. And actually, I think that was someone just trying to get me to make a stance on a candidate because uh, I, we would lose our 501c3 uh, status. Um, and uh, so I, I have no comment on candidates at all. 
Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, Suzanne from Murray. Uh, let's talk to Suzanne. Suzanne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, I have a comment to make. I was raised Christian, mm -hmm. and when I was 26, I converted over to the LDS Church, and one of my callings was to work in the nursery, and I had two observations based on that. First of all, we never really taught the life of Jesus. We mostly taught about the prophets, yeah. and so the kids learned about the prophets, but not really about Jesus. Yeah. The second one was when I was five, I learned to speak in tongues, but because as a Christian, that's what you learn. Yeah. And you learn to speak from your heart in a different language that you can speak to, to Jesus, and, mm -hmm. he, and he communicates with you, too. But I know in the LDS Church, we never really, they, we never taught the kids how to communicate with Jesus like that, so there was never that communication. And I remember going to conference, and I, and I remember hearing people, oh, I got to touch the prophet, I got to touch him, and they got real excited about that. It just makes me sick. <laughs> so I just uh, make that comment. Are you out now? You what? Are you back out? Are you out of Mormonism now? I'm working on it. What's that? I'm working on it. You're, you're, you're working on it? Yeah. Don't you have enough evidence in what you just said? Doesn't that, doesn't that just, I mean, if you go to a Christian church and you find people are excited to touch the pastor, uh, get away from that place. <laughs> You know? That's right. Huh? So, I, I mean, you belong I... to a church where, I mean, you've just said it yourself. They, they hail the prophet, the modern-day prophets, and they put them, uh, at least in how they teach, on equal footing with Christ. And yet, you're not running from there? Well, you know, when I go to the Christian church, I can feel like everyone's heart is into it. Their heart is into the Lord. It's not the pastor, but it's the Lord. Yeah. And when you go to the LDS church, they all sit there like sheep. They just sit there. There's no emotion, no nothing. No. And, and what you say and how you describe it, I'm glad to hear because it's true. The LDS get mad when people call and say these things, but it's absolutely true. They don't know the difference because they don't have spiritual eyes yet, so we pray for them. But listen, Suzanne, get uh, your elbows out of that place and go to a good Bible-teaching church and start trusting in the Lord and just leave all that behind. Praise God. All right, we will. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listen, I want, to, I want to share something with you. Someone gave this to me. This is from the January 8th, 2012 News and Views from the Bountiful Blank Ward. Okay? They, they send this out to somebody who is now a Christian, and this person brought it to me because they're still in the ward. The article is called Mortal Life. I'm not going to read it, but let me tell you this. It starts off, when we enter into this mortal life, that's from a pre-existence, we are all blessed with a great gift of agency. It goes through, it quotes the prophet Joseph Smith, it, pro, it quotes Thomas Monson, it quotes uh, no scripture from anywhere, never says the word Jesus in this cover which says faithfully yours, the bishopric. This is the, the, uh, the first letter for the year of January to get everybody thinking about how to live it. And this is what it summarizes up to. They use the term you, our, we, us 25 times. They use the term self and self-discipline five times. They use process, formula, path, pathway, choices, measures, abilities, discipline, goals, requirements, and achieve 35 times. In this thing, Jesus, not once. And they say they're Christian. It's unbelievable what they do to people's minds. 
And that woman who just called, she experiences it firsthand. You go into the primary and they sing about the prophets. They sing about Joseph and Thomas and Spencer W. Campbell. David, oh, McKay. I mean, these kids know the names of these men. These men and their cover letter here in the bountiful, I'm sorry, 18th Ward. News and views, nothing about Jesus. You open the newsletter up, you think, oh, a picture of Jesus. No, a picture of this little girl. Oh, she's such a good little girl. Picture of all the things that are, board birthdays, oh, it takes up a whole page. Uh, and takes up all this Relief Society activities. And oh, primary, hey, let's talk about this. What do they quote? They quote, Second Nephi. I haven't even planned this. Happy New Year gets about 50,000 exclamation points. Birthdays in December, a calendar. What's on the calendar? Let's see, let's see. Jesus anywhere, 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 anywhere. No, but they have party hats. They have a baby who represents the beginning of the new year. They have little horns for playing at parties. They have happy birthday charity. They have young women's night. They have ice skating coming up. Let's see on the back. Uh, Provident living, ice skating, family home evening, stake employment meeting. Jesus, Jesus. Are you Jesus? Oh, but we're Christian. You see, what the difference is, is Christians live their life by and through him, his spirit. It embodies everything. My wife was telling me, we're new to the neighborhood. She's telling me, hey, listen, we went to this health club because we're terrified of the cold and we're, and we're running on these things, you know, and, and, and she's running and there's all these ladies around her and I can see her over there running and all these ladies are near her. And she gets off and she says, they, for an hour, I had to listen to them. They talked about the war. They talked about this person, that person, this and that. They talked about everything under the sun. My husband's calling, my, I'm doing this. What are you gonna bring to the ward party? Everything imaginable culturally was the Lord mentioned once. And I say, to, I say to Mary, Mary, well, what are they, uh, what's it like when, we, when you get with Christians? She says, well, you know, it's unbelievable because no matter what you're talking about, the Lord's going to come up. He's going to come up because he is our guide. He is our God. And this is the reason we do this show. We want the LDS to know there's a difference between religion and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would suggest most LDS do not have that relationship. All right, Jason in Ohio, missionaries are trying to convert him. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, long time no talk to my friend. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Um, a couple quick things and then to my point. I hope that's a nice big old cup of coffee you're drinking. It's not coffee. Uh-huh. Darn. It's, it's not coffee, Jason, but go ahead. All right, that um, first call. It's whiskey! If you, if you want to know about the politics or whatever, tell them to look up the White Horse Prophecy. Yeah, I know the White Horse prophecy is a little bit difficult because of a number of things. I realize that there's probably where there's smoke, there's fire, but uh, it's been repeated and stuff, but I, I think there's a problem with it. I need to talk to Sandra Tanner about that because she can clarify all the nuances. I know it's there, but still, do we have actual Joseph Smith saying what everyone says he said? That's the problem with it. Right. And second, uh, last thing before my point, I'm going to shoot you a... Uh email tomorrow because I'm on that list about Mormons wanting to come out. Okay. It convert three Mormons and two Jehovah Witnesses within the last three months. Praise God. Uh, and okay, the, okay, I know this might be hard for you, but think back to your LDS days, okay? Okay. <clears throat> Hold on. Um, you said that you 
earlier you were talking about the pre-existence. What I can't comprehend, I guess, and some of my other friends can't comprehend, if we were all living in the pre-existence or whatever, like they say, and we agreed to Heavenly Father's plan or whatever, why are there so many mentally handicapped people and so many aborted babies? I don't know. And I'll hang up and I'll listen to your answer off air. Okay, Jason, thanks for watching and calling. Uh, you know, what they say is uh, God's plan was perfect. Uh, spirit children come down here, get bodies, live their lives. But man is evil uh, and men will make bad choices. And not all men and women have the gospel, Mormonism in their lives. And so things like abortion and, and murder and deformities occur. Um, uh, you know, but that was always, that was a major factor in my conversion to Christianity coming out of Mormonism while it was still alive in me was what kind of God says, I want sin to enter into my creation and I want my children or my creation, spirit creations to come here and to go through rape and torture and murder and uh, being orphans and starvation and uh, pollution and all the things that are part of this fallen world which occur because of the realm of Satan. What kind of God, I came to the conclusion, I had to ask myself, what kind of God would really want that for the children who faithfully come here and say, hey, I'm going to accept your plan? And, and, and it doesn't make sense. Now, I did then resonate to the Christian a God who said, uh, listen, I'm going to give man breath from the dirt. Adam, I'm going to breathe into him. He's going to become a living soul and I'm going to take Eve from his side and I'm going to give them a garden that's perfect and beautiful to live in and they can multiply and replenish and this can grow and these families can be in this perfect, beautiful place and have direct communion with me and I'll love them and be their God and they'll be my, they'll be my children They're, because they have that communication and, and then sin entering in and, and because of freedom of choice and, and sin coming in and God saying, listen, that's not of me but I'm here to protect you and I'll send my son to save you from it. That God resonated to me. But when you really think about it, to step back, extract all the fanciful romance of being in a pre-existence with your husband-to-be and, and promising each other, I'll find you, I'll find you, I'll find you too, okay, I'm going, ah, birth! And then 10 years later, you see him across the hall from a steak dance. He's doing the mamba. And you say, I knew him in the pre-existence. It's all romanticism. It's the same stuff that's in these Twilight books authored by a Mormon about vampires. Which, by the way, I hear one presidential candidate when asked, what, was your favorite, what is your favorite book, said, the Twilight series. Now, I don't know which political candidate it was, but all I can say is if you were interviewing a president for a university, Sandra Tanner told me this, and you said to the president of the university, well, tell us, what is your favorite book? And he said, I like the Twilight series. You know, uh, you, you want him to be the president of the university? And we're talking about someone who's ready to be the president of the United States? It's because it, it fortifies and serves Mormonism. And, you, and people who have not been LDS do not understand this mindset. We're going to Sharon in Salt Lake City, first time caller. Sharon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Sharon, and I've been a Mormon all my life. I'm 66, so that's been a long time. I feel like all those years have been wasted because now I've finally found the truth. But uh, I was raised in a very strict Mormon family. In fact, uh, one of my ancestors was dual K. Whitney, so you wow. can imagine how deep my family is into the religion. But uh, my mother and father, they were um, 
Mormons all their life, and they were really, really good people. And this is what I have a hard time. I mean, my father was just the most honest person in the whole world, and he would come home every night and read the Book of Mormon and just live the religion 100%. And I just have a hard time believing that they're going to go to hell because they never had the chance. I mean, they didn't have computers and all this information out there when they were alive, you know. Mm. And so that's what I'm having a hard time with. Sharon? I want to know. You know, uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it lays out uh, some facts for everybody. And uh, the facts are uh, we've all had, whether we were under the law as Jews or as Gentiles without the law, we've all had a, a cognizance of God. And we respond to that cognizance. Now, all of us are sinful. There is none that do good, no, not one. But we respond to what we have. And if, uh, I would never go so far as to say that, any, the, that everybody in any certain cultural group is, has gone to hell. I would never be so bold to say that. Uh, so that includes your parents. But I would say this. The only way that your parents are in heaven is by virtue of them recognizing God in their lives and, and, and seeking Him with all they had. And then it's up to God to decide, and it's only going to be through the grace and shed blood of Jesus Christ. But in terms of your or my ability to discern who's in heaven and who's in hell, that's not our call. That's our great God's call. Okay? That makes me feel better. Also, um, I sent you an email. Um, the other day, I want to be baptized, and I don't know where to go. So. Oh, well, are you attending a church? No, I'm not. I have a lot of back problems, so it's really hard for me to see it. But um, I've been reading the Bible a lot and just doing a lot of studying. In fact, I've been reading this Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith by Floyd. Like, yeah, great book. And I sent all my brothers and sisters that tape, and I just know, I'm just waiting for the bombshell I sent out seven of them. They gave them to me free at Sandra Tanner's uh, shop. I can hear the bombs coming. I know. I'm just, I'm really nervous. But, nah. you know, I want them to know the truth before they die because my two brothers, they're really, they're up there. They're getting to where they're, you know, almost on their deathbed. And But, oh, well, you know. You you're doing well. You're persisting. You're, you're sharing truth with them in love, and that's the, the way. Sharon, we're going to be having our annual open water baptism. I'm not sure the location yet, uh, but it'll probably be uh, here in Salt Lake. And we'll be announcing that. If you, if you don't uh, have a pastor or someone that y uh, you want to baptize you, you're welcome to come there. And someone there, me or somebody else, can baptize you there and talk to you about your relationship with the Lord. But keep watching, and we'll let you know. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for calling. God bless. You too. Bye. Okay, bye. We're going to uh, Robert in Salt Lake City. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, how you doing, Sean? Remember you came down to see me last week? Robert, I came down to see you. Where were you? At home. <laughs> oh, gosh. I honestly can't remember. Okay, well, anyway, uh, I wrote a letter about being excommunicated. Praise God. And so that's what I want to let you know, you know, I've woke up, I'm out of it, and I'm into the Bible and the true biblical Jesus. 
Praise God, Robert. That is so wonderful. Tell me something. Where, uh, what city do you live in? South Salt Lake. South Salt Lake, and, and, and I came to your home? Yeah, you did at 10 o'clock at night. I opened the door and you came right up the steps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know. I, okay, now I know where you live. Oh. All right. Uh, well, praise God. So you got that information? Yeah, yeah, you bet, and I'm working on that right now, getting my name out of it and getting out of it. And how about the rest of your family? Yes. Praise God. Praise well, God bless you, Robert. That's a great report. Now, listen, are you going to church anywhere? Uh, yeah, there's a church. It's on 5600 South, I called them. Excellent. It's there. She said she knew you, and she said, uh, you know, keep working on getting my name out of the Mormon church. Good, and you, you uh, grab your family, and you keep going over that, that, that church, learn the word. I'm so, we're so grateful. And, uh, and we'll keep you in prayer, my brother. Oh, thank you so much, and God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. i got to stop drinking this Diet Coke. <laughs> it's warming its way into my memory banks. Uh, okay, uh, this is from Matt in Idaho. Hey, Sean and all, I have a couple of questions for you. I hear Sean and callers who support him talk about spiritual feelings that accompany their experiences of being born again, yet Sean constantly reaffirms that we cannot trust our feelings. How do you know you have been saved? What purpose do those spiritual feelings serve if I can't trust my feelings? It's a repetitive and it's a good question. Um, feelings are not necessarily uh, bad and God gave us senses to be able to feel things, but it's the order in which those feelings are applied, Matt. Okay, here it is, you got it? Here's the train. You have facts, okay? You have, that's the engine, you have faith in those facts, okay? Jesus was born of a virgin. Yes, I have faith in those facts. Jesus uh, lived in, uh, in uh, 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 where did he live? He, God, the diet code's getting really bad. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he was raised in Galilee, and yes, I have faith in those facts. Jesus was resurrected. Yes, I have faith in those facts. And then... You have feelings that support the faith in those facts. You get that? And so the feelings are there, but you cannot switch it around, which is what the LDS do. They make feelings the engine. Then they make faith in those feelings the train. And then on the caboose, they'll say, and then we'll look at some facts. But if the facts don't match what my feelings say, I let the caboose go. You see, so God gave us his word. He gave us a word that was centered in history. He gave us a place where the word was written in, in the old world. He gave us real people who left real stories and real things. And God says, read my word and, and look at my word. Now, in terms of feelings, here's another idea just for you. I find when I was born again that I had a new ability to see. I could see God in different ways. I saw myself in different ways. I, when I read his word, it opened up to me. That's a sense, but it wasn't a feeling. Okay, Joseph Smith, going back to the, the seed, you know, going back to the seed, Joseph Smith relied on mesmerism. He relied on feelings. He could cry at the drop of a hat, and, and, and Mormons today can cry at the drop of a hat. And it's all about emotion. It's all about this experiential religion. But that, you are so open to being deceived by spirits and by uh, outer uh, stimuli that you can be misled by anything, including a bad lunch or a really good rock band. So you've got to establish what has God given us. You know, God didn't sit up in heaven and say, 
believe this, uh, this doctrine, this doctrine, and this doctrine to work with man. He actually spoke to prophets and then he sent his son in a body of flesh and blood to actually live this life, relate to people, and his, pro- and his apostles left records of that. And so you have to take facts, establish the faith, and your feelings will support that. I hope that makes uh, sense. Not enough time here to answer the second question, but it's a good one. Uh, just want to tell you a couple more things. Uh, now that we've moved uh, to Utah, uh, we woke up yesterday morning, uh, walked out of our door, and we experienced, what, from what I understand from Derek and Danita, a Utah phenomenon. Uh, everybody in our, on our street, except for three houses, had flags in their lawn. And uh, we didn't have a flag. And I'm like, what's wrong with us? How come we don't get no flag on our lawn? It was a full-size flag. Of course, there was no light on it. It was almost touching the dirt, and, you know, it was just an emblem, but it was stuck there in the lawn. And I started thinking, why? Well, I found out that if you're a member of the church, and if you pay for that flag, the Boy Scouts will put one in your lawn on special days like uh, Martin Luther King Day, which was yesterday. What's interesting is if Martin Luther King was alive, he wouldn't have gotten a flag. (laughs) He probably wouldn't have even gotten a house in this area. So, you know, they keep morphing, they keep changing, they do whatever they can to survive. American flags out there, you know, and all the stuff, Americana. Are they good neighbors? Do they make for good people? Absolutely. That has never been the question, except in some cases, but you know, the same thing applies to the Christian church or any church. In, in general, are they taught good principles? Absolutely. Are they, do they have good families? Do they strive for, for moral living? Absolutely. I would never make fun of that. But I would call that into question if um, they put those things first. One of the quotes in this newsletter, to wrap it up, it quotes, the, the, the member of the bishopric says this. Here's an easy formula that you can measure the choices which you make. Quote, you can't be right by doing wrong. You can't be wrong by doing right. I would take exception to that. There was a group of men called Pharisees who did all kinds of things right. And it didn't do anything to lead them to the truth. All it did was keep them separate from knowing what the truth was. It's not that doing right is wrong. It's a matter of priorities. When uh, Jesus, Jesus says, listen, if you have a, a gift to offer on the, on the uh, uh, altar and you remember that someone has a problem with you, go to that person first and fix that problem before you do your religious service, before you do all these things, which aren't bad. He didn't say don't do them. He said, go to that person, priorities, fix that, and then come back and do the offering. So doing right sometimes can really serve as a stumbling block for the LDS. They do their home teaching. They, they, uh, they, they fulfill their callings. They're good husbands. They're good wives. The kids are in Boy Scouts and, and all the stuff. And it's all right, right, right. And they look in the mirror and they say, boy, I'm right. This is what God wants from me. When in fact, God wants them to put that Boy Scouts and that home teaching and all their service and their temple attendance aside and to go to him first and to say to him, I need to reconcile with you through my heart and he'll give you a new life and he'll regenerate your spirit. And then you can go and continue on being a good father and serving the community and putting flags in people's uh, 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 lawns. But until until that time comes, it all is meaningless. We will see you next week right here on Heart of the Matter. Hmm.